Good morning, Colorado. You're listening to the Daily Sun Up with the Colorado Sun. It's Tuesday, October 31st. Today, we're getting a lesson on quantum technology in lay terms from Sun Business and Tech reporter Tamara Chung and why it's going to be gaining more attention in the Boulder area. Before we begin, a quick message. AARP Colorado is proud to sponsor this podcast with the Colorado Sun. With Colorado being one of the fastest-growing states in the nation among older adults, AARP Colorado strives to ensure all Coloradans can age in place for as long as possible and age with dignity. Now, let's go back in time with some Colorado history. Halloween calls to mind sweet treats and good-natured frights. But on this day in 1880, the screams in Denver were real as a drunken mob attacked the city's Chinese population. On October 31, 1880, Denver witnessed a violent outburst against its Chinese population, fueled by widespread anti-Chinese sentiment. What began as a bar fight escalated into a mob assault despite the efforts of firefighters and Mayor Richard Sopras. Governor Frederick Pitkin deployed the state militia to quell the violence. Tragically, a man named Luke Young was beaten to death and was the sole fatality. The following day, Calm returned, with about 100 Chinese departing Denver and the remaining Chinese citizens left to rebuild their lives. This riot, just before the 1880 presidential election, influenced the political landscape, favoring the Republicans. Congress later passed the Chinese Exclusion Act in 1882, underscoring America's deep-rooted ethnic tensions. Before we continue, another quick message. Do you or anyone you know have questions about Medicare as open enrollment begins? Join the Colorado Sun virtually on November 2nd as health reporter John Engold speaks with panelists about everything you need to know about Medicare and helping select the right plan. The event is free, virtual, and open to the public. RSVP today and submit your questions for panelists by visiting coloradosun.com slash events. Next, our feature story. Hey, good day, everyone, and thanks for tuning in today. I'm David Krause, one of the editors here at the Colorado Sun, and I'm excited to be here with Sun Business and tech reporter Tamara Chang. You've been writing about all this quantum stuff, and it's one thing to read about it, but maybe you and I can have a nice uh, layperson's conversation about quantum since you've been doing some um, pretty good research on it, uh, Tamara. You wrote recently about um, Colorado being named a quantum tech hub um, and that uh, this ecosystem kind of already existed in Colorado um, dating back to what, the 1950s? So, Tamara, let's start there. Like this quantum technology, we'll get into some of the computing stuff and what that means in a little bit, but just kind of give us a little bit of background on how this quantum technology uh, started up in Colorado. Sure. Yeah. And, you know, I'm still a novice uh, when it comes to understanding quantum. I mean, my background is a technology reporter, so I used to cover a lot of hardware and trying to learn about how quantum computers work is just literally a whole different level. And I can get into that more. But um, yeah, so Colorado was just named a tech hub for quantum which means it's going to get some federal funding and um, a lot of marketing probably. But what exactly does that mean and where does it come from? You know, I decided to dive a little deeper into this topic and learned about how quantum really has its roots in Boulder, 
you know, it was starting in Boulder back in the 50s. And when I was interviewing folks from the community, um, including, folk, you know, professors at uh, CU in Boulder, um, it's, it's largely, you know, everyone traces the local roots of quantum to the um, National Institute of Standards and Technology. The, you know, NIST is the uh, acronym. Um, which picked Boulder to as a research facility back in the 1950s. And from what I understand or what I was told is, you know, part of the reason why Boulder was picked is that the U.S. government was building out some of these um, research labs uh, around the, the nation, and they wanted places that were uh, less conspicuous, um, I would say. Uh, you know, that's why places like Los Alamos became, you know, the, uh, the headquarters for the Manhattan Project. Uh, back in the 40s, um, this was a play a, a, a way to keep, um, you know, a research uh, just kind of more secluded uh, away from the coast and in in the middle of America. Um, and from from there, NIST, you know, um, you know, partnered and teamed up with folks at CU, um, School of Mines, you know, but I mean, in particular with CU, they uh, created like this, uh, uh, the, they created the Joint Institute for Laboratory Astrophysics, and that was back in 1962. Um, a lot of research has come out of this. Uh, there's been four uh, Nobel Prize winners, uh, laureates coming from Boulder in physics. And that's apparently like four out of the eight physics um, laure laureates um to date have come from from this area. Uh, so there's just been a big history with uh, quantum and uh, physics in Colorado. All right. So now we're going to we're going to try to zero in on this, Tamara. Right. You've done the research. What exactly is quantum computing and what are we getting out of it right now? Yeah. You know, quantum computing. Well, let's start with quantum, the quantum technology you know, it's still, there's still a big sci-fi aspect to it because it's a lot of what ifs, you know, what can be done. It's theoretical. Um, and researchers are hoping that computers are actually going to help us process some of these giant, you know, theories and algorithms to um, actually come up with results. And I think, I think an easier way to wrap your head around what quantum can do is um, the results that uh, scientists are hoping for. And I, I have a few examples in the story. You know, there, there was talk about, you know, with climate change, you know, trying to figure out, um, you know, trying to actually measure either temperatures or, or snow caps and stuff like that. I mean, there's just so much data involved um, and ongoing, you know, things change every day. Uh, to try to get all that information into one computer would take that computer, even some supercomputers, way too long to calculate. Uh, something like a quantum computer, it, you know, it its skill is to um, make these calculations faster. So apparently stuff like one plus one would be really hard for a quantum computer to calculate. But it's it's like trying to find all the pro probabilities of a situation. Uh, you know, some other examples are um, 
like uh, transportation routes for um, shipping. And an example was uh, ExxonMobil is working with IBM's uh, quantum computer to maybe uh, work, figure this out. Like um, knowing where everybody's um, ship is at a- any given day, you know, when will supplies get to somewhere? Apparently, this is super complicated because there's so many points of data. And, you know, layered on top of that, there's weather data, um, you know, competitive data, you know, just all this stuff. And and again, you know, maybe maybe a computer could do this and, and they call them classic computers. That's like the ones we're using today. Most humans are using today. These classic computers could probably figure it out, but it could take a thousand years or a million years, whereas the idea of a quantum computer is that it would be able to figure some of the stuff out in, you know, minutes or days or even weeks, um, but just something exponentially faster than what we have today. So I don't know if that... I'm sorry to interrupt you there. How do they make it faster? Is it, you know, you talk about... um, freezing temperatures to keep the computers cooled off. Is there an easy explanation to that? Um, I'm going to attempt this explanation. Um, It's essentially a computer has more access to millions of calculations compared, many more millions of calculations than it does today. And anyone in the computer hardware industry, you know that... um, computer chips. They've been speeding up for uh, decades. You know, um, Moore's Law, you know, it's it, they just get exponentially faster. But in order to calculate some of these formulas, they need to be even, you know, millions more or billions more faster um, to be able to manage ex- an excessive number of calculations. And the reason, um, the reason I, well, the way I understand this is if people understand like a bit in a computer, a computer bit, you know, these are, uh, these are, this is the essential piece of d- data, information, you know, um, that a lot of, uh, you know, like me, you recording me for this podcast, these are, we're recording in digital bits mm-hmm. and um, there's going to be millions of them that create, you know, when combined, it creates a video that is easy for humans to understand. Now, if a computer bit had access to way more bits and way more calculations within a single bit, that is just exponentially more information. And the reason, um, the reason it d- a bit does have more access is quantum computing sort of looks at the potential possibilities of data between the zeros and ones. You know, classical computing is, it only reads a zero or a one, a yes or a no. Quantum computer can read a zero and a one, and then everything in between that. And, you know, that's when you have to get into superpositioning, you know, if you remember like um, molecules and chemistry and yeah. and how, you know, any any way that these atoms can move, you know, that could be one capture of a bit. I'm way oversimplifying and I, I probably not doing a good job. Um, well, actually, but... you're really, the, the oversimplification is really enjoyable for the rest of us to hear, right? Because I, <laughs> I can follow that. 
right? I can follow the idea of what you're saying there. So, no, well, I appreciate that. Well, let me, let me then explain. I, I did get to visit um, a few of these companies. Um, one is actually called Maybell Quantum, and they're in Denver. They don't build they don't build the computers, but they build these refrigerators that keep the chips super cold, as in like um, 10 millikelvin, which is like close to negative 450 degrees Fahrenheit. The thing is, it's like these chips have to be very cold in order for the atoms to kind of slow down, right? If you think about it, um, when you freeze water, it becomes hard, so the water's not moving around anymore. And I mean, th this is very similar to the um, what these quantum computers need. Uh, when I went to visit uh, Maybell, which is making these refrigerators, you know, I talked to this person. I mean, her name was Kelly and her background is she has a major in philosophy and music. And she, you know, she doesn't um, she doesn't have that quantum engineering degree, but she doesn't need it to work in the industry, the local industry today. Um, but she has a good grasp on what quantum is. And like the way she explained it made a lot of sense to me. Um, she was saying that sometimes she and her bandmate, oh, she's also in a, in a metal band, or two metal bands, actually. And she was saying that uh, they've been talking about quantum and maybe incorporating some of those series into their lyrics. But uh, uh, I'm just going to quote her when I asked her about it. She's like, it, it's so hard to put this stuff into words. But when you look at a quantum particle, just by observing it changes the function of it. And, you know, that's that's why things have to be very cold, because if if they're not if the chips are um, there could be too much interference if it's too warm and they their calculations may not be as accurate. So. That is one way to maybe start trying to comprehend uh, how quantum computing is different than classical computing. Um, I probably am one one thousandth percent um, smarter than I was last week about quantum, but it's still there's just so much more I, I don't understand. Um, but I think the goal here is that now this um, tech hub is ready to turn that research into a commercial product. And, and that's, oh, that that's all the buzz about it right now, right? For right. this tech hub designation and you know, we're going to start seeing and hearing that phrase a lot more in especially around Boulder, but also along the front range for those of us who haven't been into it, you know, for the past however many decades of it building up in this area. What is what is that buzz mean for us in the next, what, say, five, 10 years, Tamara? What do you see? The hope with being an official tech hub is, you know, the commercialization of products. You know, like Maybell is not a computer, but a, a support product of the quantum industry. And even even these Atom computers, I mean, these computers are also... Um, sort of the product and a commercial, you know, a piece of uh, commerce that could help that research become a reality. Um, yeah. It could, you know, maybe figure out the the diseases, um, find finding cures for diseases or um, finding a better battery or, you know, there's there's all sorts of things. And, you know, unfortunately, right now it's it's still research 
that needs to figure out a way to be um, nonfiction. Uh, but right now, it's still very theoretical. Um, but this is the idea that if uh, the investment is put into the Boulder area and, and Boulder, Denver area, I should say, it could become, you know, who knows? It could become the next Silicon Valley of quantum because back in the, you know, 30s or so, Silicon Valley didn't exist. And now it is the hub for technology, although that's kind of being spread out now, which is a reason why these tech hubs are um, being created uh, in order to um, uh, move America's innovation in all parts of the nation, as opposed to just Silicon Valley or near MIT in Boston. Tamara, this, uh, I got to say, we moved the needle on this conversation a lot farther than I thought we would in our pre-production stuff. So I really appreciate you kind of not dummying it down, but kind of helping us give us some example and put it into perspective for it. Um, so thanks, as always, for the time on this stuff. I want to thank everybody for listening. And also, if you want to read more about the Quantum Tech Hub and what it means, Tamara's coverage from previous uh, the past week, you can go to coloradosun.com and click on the business tab up at the top of our homepage. And you can also go and sign up for Tamara's free weekly What's Working newsletter. Wraps up the business for the week, comes out every Saturday. You can go sign up for that at coloradosun.com slash working. Hey, Tamara, thanks again uh, for really explaining this uh, really well for everybody and make it a great week. You can read more at coloradosun.com. Finally, here are a few stories that you should know about today. Court arguments are underway this week in a bid to keep Donald Trump off the Colorado ballot under the Insurrection Clause of the Constitution. The hearing is set to last a week in Denver. Lawyers in Minnesota will also make the same case to disqualify Trump later this week. No matter what the judges decide, the rulings are likely to be swiftly appealed, eventually to the U.S. Supreme Court, which has never ruled on the Civil War-era provision in the 14th Amendment. A Colorado man who assaulted a U.S. Capitol officer with a 2x4 during the January 6th riot will spend nearly three years in prison. A federal judge sentenced Jacob Travis Clark of Trinidad to 33 months in prison and then a year of supervised release. Clark was ordered to serve time for six charges, including the obstruction of an official proceeding and engaging in physical violence in a restricted building. The police officer said Clark hit him in the groin and he fell to the ground in pain, watching as the violent mob rushed past him. Police are investigating after the body of a man armed with weapons, loaded ammunition magazines, and bombs was found inside Glenwood Caverns Adventure Park over the weekend. The Garfield County Sheriff's Office said the body of the 20-year-old who was wearing black tactical gear was discovered Saturday by employees before the park opened. The Sheriff's Office said the man was armed with a semi-automatic rifle and semi-automatic handgun, along with multiple loaded magazines for both weapons. Police also found several explosive devices with him and in his car. For more information on all of these stories, visit our website, coloradosun.com. And don't forget to tune in again next time. The Colorado Sun is nonpartisan and completely independent. We're always dedicated to telling the in-depth stories we need today more than ever. And the Sun is supported by readers and listeners like you. Right now, you can head to coloradosun.com and become a member. 
Starting at $5 per month for a basic membership, and if you bump it up to $20 per month, you'll get access to our exclusive politics and outdoors newsletters. Thanks for starting your morning with us, and don't forget to tune in again tomorrow.